0: to you tonight and thank you for your prayers. Uh, we have been blessed to be among you these last few months and, uh, and to be uh, having friends here uh, who, who now will be some more The people will miss when we go on to where God is calling us. But it is a blessing to be with you tonight. And we're going to think a, a little bit, talk a little bit about the wonderful gift of God in salvation in the work of Jesus Christ. It's interesting, of course, gifts are a very big part of relationships. And there was a a man and wife once who who, uh, uh, liked to give gifts and sometimes would give gifts that were a little bit of a a prank. And so when the man's birthday came and his wife said, you're going to love your birthday present, he was a little suspicious. But she said to him, no, 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 really, go on out. In the driveway. It's out there for you in the driveway and uh, it goes from zero to 200 in less than six seconds. And he was excited and so he went out and saw it. Sure enough, there in the driveway, shiny, brand new bathroom scale. (laughs) Sometimes gifts don't live up to their hype. Sometimes we find ourselves disappointed. In fact, In this life, there are all kinds of things that are offered to us for satisfaction. And even if you get something better than a new bathroom scale, if you were to get a shiny new sports car or something like that, you would find that eventually it didn't live up to its hype because none of these things can satisfy. There is one gift that satisfies, that exceeds all that we might imagine, And that is the gift of salvation in Jesus Christ. And the wonder of what Christ has done to give us that gift is awe-inspiring and should bring us to worship, to the praise that is God's due for all that he has done to us. And so when we gather to worship, we celebrate the gift of God the gift of Jesus Christ, the gift of life in him. Celebrate the gift. And we're going to look tonight at a passage at Isaiah chapter 53. And as we do, and as we look at what Jesus has done for us, we want to be overwhelmed and for our hearts to be brought to awe at the wonder of God's gift. So go ahead, and if you'd like to follow along, turn to the book of Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, chapter 53. Three, I tell you, uh, they were so kind, uh, Dr. Daniel asked me to come and preach this evening service and so I prepared. And you're all going to think as we're preaching this that I just crammed this sermon this afternoon because of how much it aligns with Dr. Daniel's sermon this morning. But I didn't. I prepared there. It is the work of providence that we find ourselves very much on the same theme and that we get in the morning and the evening to Together, talk about the glories of the cross of Jesus Christ. We're going to focus on verses 10 through 12, the end of that chapter of Isaiah 53. But to give us a little bit of the picture, I want to read uh, from back in Isaiah 52, verse 13. Uh, on to the end of the chapter. If your Bible is like mine, it'll put that as one section, reaching back a few verses into chapter 52, and that as... As again, Dr. Daniel reminded us today, the chapter divisions are not original to the scriptures. And I think there's a saying something like to the effect that they were added later by a scholar as he was riding a, a bouncing donkey on the way to Jerusalem. Uh, some of them seem a little oddly placed, but, but uh, that is where we'll go. So Isaiah 52:13 through the end of chapter 53, will you follow with me? And uh, just to confuse you, I'm reading out of the ESV. For our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. There is our passage, and before we unpack it, let's have another little prayer. Thank you, God, for your word, which you have so kindly, so generously given to us, which you have spoken to your prophets so long ago and preserved for us and brought to us so that we may understand and may know you. Give us, we pray, humble hearts. Give us minds open to grasp what you have said and hearts ready to receive and the faith to believe so that we may rejoice in you and follow you and love you more and more. This we ask in Jesus our Savior and in the Holy Spirit. Amen. Here we have, in Isaiah 53, a prophecy of the wonderful atoning work of Jesus Christ. We are going to celebrate the gift of God and beginning with the thought to trust God's design. Isaiah 53, when we look at this context, is a wonderful prophetic word and this is given to Israel. This passage stands as, as one where the meaning of the sacrifices, how they point forward to Christ is just opened up here in the Old Testament and it is so powerful and profound in its demonstration of what these sacrifices are all about and the atoning work of Jesus Christ that, that, that it stands out like this. I once heard a story about a man who he was he was trying to do evangelism to a A secularized Jew. So, this was a man of Jewish heritage, but he didn't really believe, he didn't really know his Jewish scriptures. And when the man was talking to him and trying to evangelize him, he tried to show him the gospel here in Isaiah 53. And it was such hard work to convince this secularized Jew that this was actually part of his own Bible, of his Jewish scriptures. He didn't believe it because it was so obviously Christian. In its pointing to Jesus Christ and his work, he had to be shown proof that this was actually part of the Jewish scriptures as well as of the Christian Bible, a passage that speaks of the substitutionary work of Christ and points forward and shows how the sacrifices of the Old Testament pointed forward to the work of Jesus Christ in the New Testament. It has that section, probably the most memorable, the most famous, is verses 4 through 6. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and by his wounds we are healed." All we like sheep have gone astray, we've turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Such a clear demonstration of the substitutionary work of Jesus Christ, bearing our sins on our behalf. And when we come to verses 10 through 12, at the end, there is, there is a summing up of the theme of this prophecy, and also a combining of the work of Christ in his death, with allusions to his resurrection and reign, and that wraps it up so well. And this verse, verse 10 in particular, invites us to reflect on God's design behind this, and therefore to trust in God's design in our lives and in everything. We have read about this promised suffering servant in Isaiah 52 into 53 about his his sacrificial death on behalf of God's people, about his bearing their sins and, and his being placed into the grave. And then we read in verse 12, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him and cause him to suffer or put him to grief. The will of the Lord we see what was behind this, what was behind the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. Because the death of Jesus Christ on the cross is fairly non-controversial as a fact of history. There are those, there are a few scholars out there who deny that Jesus existed, but that's not a mainstream view. Even among unbelieving scholars, it's typical to acknowledge that there was this man, Jesus Christ, and even I think that he died upon a cross. But the significance of that, of course, is where the debate would center. It was not an accident of history. Jesus is not just one more good person put to death by evil authorities. He, is a, he was a good man put to death by evil authorities, but not just that. And it certainly wasn't just one more execution of a criminal. He didn't die for his own sins, for his own wrongdoing. What was behind it? Well, this was the Lord's will. It was the will of the Lord to crush him. And at first that thought, at first that statement in verse 10, may not be very comforting to you. After all, if it was the will of the Lord to crush Him, what hope do you or I have? If this is what God is like, how can this be a comfort to us? And, of course, there are those who twist it in that way. Uh, Another thing uh, Pastor Daniel mentioned this morning, and I I think maybe the most famous person to bring this forward, there was a British... Pastor named Stephen Chalky, who some years ago began to talk about the, 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 the understanding of the cross that the Christian church traditionally teaches as divine child abuse. Well, you can only say that, one, if you have a disrespect for God's word and for his truth, two, if you don't really have a good understanding of the doctrine of the Trinity and you don't understand the unity of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit in in one will and one saving purpose. No, we don't have here an example of divine child abuse. We don't have a cruel God. And so, so when we hear it was the will of the Lord to crush him, he has put him to grief, we have to dig in and say, what's behind this? If we know the God of the Bible, who is infinitely gracious and compassionate and loving, who is absolutely just, righteous and holy, who is wise beyond our imagination, then when we hear it was the will of the Lord to crush him, now we're looking for the mystery. So why? What is behind this? We see it fitting into God's plan. It was the will of the Lord to crush him because he had come to bear our griefs and carry our sorrows. It was the will of the Lord to crush him because he was pierced for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities. And because this was not the end of the plan either, it was a sacrifice. For us, and it is not the end of the plan. And this is where this passage, verses 10 through 12 of Isaiah chapter 53, becomes so interesting because it goes back and forth between the suffering of Christ, the death of Christ, his bearing of sin, and also words of hope and of a future for him. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, He shall see his offspring, he shall prolong his days, the will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. What a paradoxical statement. You'd think you'd read, when his soul makes an offering for guilt, well, that's it for him. No. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, which when you think about it is a statement of the depth of what he endured, when his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. Here we have the mystery. And you wonder what Isaiah made of it as he was given these words to speak and faithfully wrote them down. But words that could only make sense after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And when we see how the one who has given his soul an offering for our guilt, then... His days are prolonged and he he prospers the Lord's will. The guilt offering is described in Leviticus 5. By the blood of the ram, the guilt of sinners is taken away. And so the scripture makes the meaning of the cross clear. Christ was a sacrifice for us. But this reversal then, he shall prolong his days and the will of the Lord will prosper his hand. You can't have your cake and eat it too, they say. Well, Jesus Christ can, because God is stronger than even death. And so those who receive Christ by faith become the children of God. He shall see his offspring. His days are prolonged, for Christ is risen to eternal resurrected life. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. The kingdom of God will advance. God's saving purpose will go forward Notice in this verse, in verse 10, how the will of the Lord is at the beginning and at the end of this passage. And so it it surrounds this statement of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It was the will of the Lord to crush him, and through his death and resurrection, he then is going to bring forward, advance the will of the Lord. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. God's design is good, even though sometimes we may be tempted to doubt. Think of the disciples after the death of Jesus Christ. When they had seen what it looked like for the will of the Lord to crush him, and they had not yet seen the resurrection, it could be tempting to doubt God's plan. But in the end, we see the marvel of God's design in this mystery of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so it is for us today. As faith in Jesus, the crucified and risen one, must be the center of our lives and of our spiritual lives and therefore of our whole lives. That ought to spill out into everything else. And so whatever you're going through, physical struggles with health, uh, career struggles, questions about the future, grief that you're carrying, if we can trust God for the salvation of our souls, if we can trust his paradoxical work in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, then we better be able to trust Trust him in the comparatively little things of life that loom so big in our hearts. Trust God's design. As we look at the cross, that gives us a key for taking the rest of life in hand as well and extol Christ's sacrifice. And so we see that pattern repeated here when we come to verse 11. Out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one my servant make many to be counted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. After the suffering of his soul, he'll see the light and be satisfied. The suffering of his soul, just as before, when his soul makes an offering for guilt, the greatest anguish of the death of Christ surely was not the physical sufferings, although they are tremendous. The cross that he carried for you and me and on which he was carried for you and me was a truly excruciating means of death. This is something so foreign to our world view because we live in a time when even executing even the worst criminals is looked at as barbaric by many people. And among those who do support the death penalty, we try to make it as humane as possible, as painless as possible. That was not the way they did it in the ancient world. If you were a good person, honorable, and respected, you might get a quick, painless death, but crucifixion was meant to be as long-suffering and shameful as possible. Public, naked, excruciating, slow death by suffocation. And this was after he'd been beaten, after he'd had the crown of thorns shoved on his head, after he had had been betrayed and falsely accused and spat upon and hit and had to carry the cross to Calvary. After all of this, he then bears the death on the cross. But surely greater, infinitely greater than the physical suffering was this, the suffering of his soul. But out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. It was not defeat in God's paradoxical plan. It was victory. He is satisfied. His mission is accomplished. His goal is achieved. He has defeated the devil and won a people to be God's own. And by his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. Christ will accomplish his objective. By his knowledge, it says, probably indicating the wisdom of Christ in bringing about redemption. He shall make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. In those two phrases, we see the end and we see the means of what Jesus Christ has done. He shall make many to be accounted righteous. That phrase describes what we call justification, and that's at the center of the Christian faith. That's at the center of the dispute between the Protestant churches that came out of the Reformation and and the Roman Catholic Church is the meaning of this idea of justification. And it is just what we see in here, that Jesus, by his work, has made many to be accounted righteous. Justification is God's decree the decree of uh, the, the judicial gavel slamming down and saying acquitted not guilty because of what Jesus Christ has done for you because of his righteousness it is imputed that is credited to you because of what he has done make many to be accounted righteous not all Not all, only those who receive him, but many, a great host of those who believe, from every people and tribe and and tongue and nation. And how has he achieved this? He shall bear their iniquities, bearing their sins. That is the means, the center of the means of the work of Christ. And so that helps us to reflect back on this verse 5 of this chapter, 53. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. What we are talking about is the meaning of the cross. Understood as the fulfillment of all those Old Testament sacrifices. Guilt offerings and sin offerings. And so on. All of these point forward to what the cross was about. And the interpretive key is given here in chapter 53. He is bearing Our sins upon Himself. This is what is called the penal substitutionary understanding of the atoning work of Christ. Penal, as in the penalty, substitutionary in our place. And that is saying that Jesus Christ bore the punishment that we deserve for our sins. There are, of course, those who find that very hard to swallow today. Why? Well, Sometimes people have had a difficulty with the idea of someone bearing someone else's punishment, but usually the problem these days, actually, is those who think it's that God would never punish someone for their sins. And so they try to make the cross of Jesus Christ about something else. A very, very uh, powerful example of this uh, from a, a number of years ago. A uh, very liberal Presbyterian denomination in America, the PCUSA. They they wanted to use in their hymnal the beloved modern hymn "In Christ Alone" uh, by by the Gettys, uh, and uh, they wanted to use it, but they didn't want to use it quite the way it is because they couldn't agree with the words of the song. In particular, there's a wonderful line in that song which captures this truth. It says, till on that cross, as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. That is what we call, is called, called propitiation. Is the penal substitution of Christ bearing the wrath of God for our sins. And the BCUSA couldn't tolerate that line because they didn't they didn't believe it. So they wanted to. They said to the Gettys, "Can we change the hymn? We just want to make one substitution. Can we change that line? Till on the cross where Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. Can we make it the love of God was magnified?" That's very interesting, isn't it? Because was the love of God magnified on the cross? Absolutely. It is maybe the key demonstration of the love of God in the cross of Jesus Christ. So this is an example of where truth is being used to lie. Because they want to deny the other truth, the necessary truth, that on the cross where Jesus died the wrath of God was satisfied by substituting the truth that the love of God was magnified. No, we see in the cross of Jesus Christ the love of God. You can't can't look at this passage, bearing our griefs, carrying our sorrows, pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities, bearing our iniquities and making his soul an offering for guilt. You can't look at that without seeing the love of God in its profound, wonderful display. But it is precisely because the wrath of God is satisfied in the work of Christ, that his love is shown so powerfully. The two go hand in hand. And so as we look at the justifying work of Jesus Christ, we extol his sacrifice, praise his sacrifice. This is a focus for gratitude. A focus for gratitude We go through our days and we worry about so many things. It's so easy, isn't it, to worry about so many things. And we come to our time of prayer and have so many things to ask of God. And God is a loving Father who wants us to ask of him everything that's on our heart. But do we remember to be grateful for all of his blessings and most especially for this wonderful work that by his knowledge, the righteous one, that servant, Jesus Christ, made many to be accounted righteous, bearing their iniquities, bearing our sins. And of course, it is the word of true freedom. Do you know this freedom in your heart? Do you know what it is to recognize that Jesus Christ bore all of my sins? Upon himself in the cross. And by faith in him, I am accounted righteous before Almighty God. There's the wonder of the cross. And as we look at his cross, extol his sacrifice, we anticipate. The victory for this passage again rolls back and forth between, between the death of Jesus Christ, between his work bearing our iniquity, and the promise, uh, uh, the, the victory, the glory, the, the continued life, and the outcome of that. When we come to verse 12, we read, Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he will divide the spoils with the strong. This is a a word of the victory of Jesus Christ. And here's the reversal, isn't it? Because he's the one at the beginning of this passage, when it talked about the, the servant, he's one who's going to act wisely, but we hear that people aren't going to be impressed. He had no former majesty that we should look at him, no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. That's the beginning of Isaiah 53. And when we come to the end, we read, Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Now we see him in victory. This idea of a portion of the spoils this is a, a military picture of the time when you would when you would conquer uh, uh, and and overpower your enemy, and then you get the spoils, you get the plunder, uh, and so on. And so it's it's a picture of it's a picture of victory. We might you know, we might think in terms of uh, when when you go out and you know you're in you're in the working world and and you you complete a big job, a big contract. And may you, you, you get your paycheck. Maybe even you get a bonus that comes in or a bonus at Christmas time or something and there's there's the spoils. When I was when I was a teenager uh, my, my first real job outside of mowing lawns, I worked, at, I worked for Baker's Square. You know, they had one in Springfield for so long after the chain went down. You guys know Baker's Square? Oh, the pies were so good. My sister worked there before I did. And the, if you worked the closing shift at Baker's Square, you would bring home pies because their standards of freshness were very high. Those cream pies could only be there like two or three days, and then they had to go somewhere. So they go home with employees. I remember as a teenage boy, one night, late night, my... My sister came home from the closing shift and she said, Joshua, come and help me. And I went to her car and she had so many pies. And we took the pies, and we we filled the refrigerator, and we filled the refrigerator in the basement, and we couldn't find a place for all the pies. And I just opened this fresh strawberry pie with whipped cream and just started eating it with a spoon. That's kind of the picture here I get of dividing the spoils with the strong, ah, the joy of of having having received the wonderful reward here the victory of Jesus Christ he has triumphed in his death and resurrection and 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 even now he is glorified he has ascended to the right hand of the Father, and he is glorified. And he will return, and his glory will be displayed. When he comes again, it is going to be the magnificent return. We hear about the the the, the uh, trumpet call of God and and uh, Jesus Christ returning with a loud command. Uh, we read in, in Revelation about the rider on a white horse descending, and he's going to return in victory. His triumph... Uh, stands at the end. The last word is not the the sacrifice. That is that is sort of the, the 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 climax of his work in its way. But it's not the it's not the consummation. There's the return of Christ in glory, and here he is going to he is going to divide the spoils. He is going his followers will will be with him, and they will glory in him in his in his kingdom. Christ rose from the grave. He ascended to the right hand of the Father. He reigns today. And he has put the devil and all his demons under him, as well as every power and authority, and at his final return he will subdue them once and for all. Because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors, for he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors the greatness and nobility of Christ's accomplishment. And so it goes back and forth, and we have to hold together the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and the victory. These truths of the death and resurrection, uh, of his descent to us and of his ascent to the right hand of the Father, all come together in one glorious picture and the exaltation of Christ though is connected with his, uh, with his work when he reached down. I have a, a comment here from uh, Old Testament scholar John Oswalt. Listen to this. He, he says the servant will be exalted to the highest heaven that's in chapter 52 verse 13 not because he was humiliated although he was Not because he suffered unjustly, although he did, not because he did it voluntarily, although he did, but because it was all in order to carry the sin of the world away, to permit God's children to come home to him. He is exalted because he fulfilled God's purpose for his ministry, and that purpose was redemption. Here, this final statement, the bearing the sin of many, making intercession for transgressors, reminds us once again that this whole work of Christ is indeed a demonstration of the love of God. And so we anticipate victory. The end of the story is triumph. Christ reigns over his people and he will usher them into a world of light and life eternal. When you think about the work of Jesus Christ and the difference it makes in life, do you anticipate the victory that is coming? We need a full picture of the meaning of the gospel. One that has a full picture of the work of Christ and sees the glory in his coming down to us and assuming humanity, that sees how his, his life of perfect obedience lived in our place of, instead of all the sin that you and I have done, fulfills the righteous requirements of God, How his casting out of the devil and his demons and overthrowing their powers began this victorious overthrow of the powers of darkness. How his death on the cross bore our sins and won the victory. How his resurrection triumphed over death and trampled over the powers of sin and of darkness. And how his ascension then was his glorious rise to reign And to return to finish all things. And we need a picture of the fullness of what he has done. Uh, That we, we talk about the forgiveness of sins. And that certainly is central in this passage. Bearing the transgressions. But because of that... There is a wonderful gift of life. There is adoption as a child of God. There is a cleansing and transformation of our lives. And there is a glory to come at the end. And so we have this wonder to anticipate, which ought to give us endurance as we go through, as we bear the uncertainties of life and its trials and so on, uh, that in Jesus Christ we are headed... Uh, for, for his kingdom of light, for his victory, uh, for his triumph and his glory, because he has bore our sins. And so we celebrate the gift. As we go home tonight, let's go home with gratitude for what Jesus has done for us, with wonder at what he has won for us, uh, with the desire to trust him, and go through our days in faith, walking with the Lord who won us back to God. Will you pray with me? Wonderful Lord, thank you for your work. Thank you for the gift of Jesus our Savior. Thank you for this holy mystery of redemption for the love by which Jesus came to be our sacrifice and Savior, for the power by which he overthrew death. Strengthen us to walk by faith each and every day and guide us and open opportunities for us to be witnesses as you have called us to be and to share the glories of your gospel with those around us. Please keep us safe as we travel tonight and guide each step of our lives. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.